Today we come back to our personal reading of Christianity Through the Centuries, a history of the Christian Church by Earl E. Carnes. And this is just a personal reading of this wonderful survey of church history. I think this is very important for Christians to have at least some understanding of church history um, so that we can understand where we've come from and where we are going. Um, so this, again, is just a personal reading of this this book. It is in fulfillment of the requirements of a church history class that I am presently taking um, through the Master's University. So uh, that being said, please forgive me if I mispronounce any words, names, or events that uh, may be unfamiliar to me. Um, I'll do my best to, to make those clear, but... Um, Really, I just want to bring you along on this, this journey with me. And today we come to chapter 11. And the section that we are reading in now is the supremacy of the old Catholic imperial church, 313 through 590 AD. So if you're paying attention, we've now moved into a new section of church history. We've, we've left the era of 100 to 313 AD, and now we step into the uh, years 313 through 590 so we'll begin our reading now. Please, again, don't redistribute or recopy this. Um, this is not for profit. Uh, we do not receive anything for reading this uh, on this podcast. And um, I just ask that you keep that in mind as we continue forward. So chapter 11, the church faces the empire and the barbarians. Between 375 and 1066 A.D., during the period of the so-called Dark Ages, in which the mass movement of the barbarian Teutonic tribes took place in Western Europe, the Church faced a twofold problem. The decline of the Roman Empire placed before her the task of being, quote-unquote, salt, to conserve the Heleno-Hebraic culture, which was threatened with destruction. The monasteries, centers where manuscripts were carefully preserved and copied, were a great aid in her fulfillment of this function. Confronting her was also the task of being a quote-unquote light to give the gospel to the peoples making up the masses of wandering tribesmen. This she did through the work of missionary monks, and she succeeded in the mighty task of winning the tribes to the Christian faith. However, secularization, secularization and the voice of the state in the affairs of the church were part of the price she had to pay for her success in conserving culture and converting tribes. Institutional development and doctrine were adversely affected. Roman numeral one, the church and the state. If one is to understand relationships between church and state after the granting of freedom of religion by Constantine, it is necessary to give some attention to the political problems the emperor faced at this time. The anarchy of the century of the revolution, which wrecked the Roman Republic between 133 and 31 BC, had been ended by the powerful principate that Augustus created after, the, after he destroyed Antony's army. But the principate in which the emperor, as princeps, shared authority with the, with the Senate proved to be weak to meet the challenge of internal decay and barbarians on the borders of the empire. And the prosperity and peace of the early era of the Principate 
gave way to another century of revolution between 192 and 284 A.D. Diocletian, in 285 A.D., recognized the empire along more autocratic lines copied from Oriental despotism in an attempt to create security for Greco-Roman culture. Because Christianity seemed to threaten this culture, he, under Galerius, urging, made an unsuccessful attempt to wipe it out between 303 and 305. His more astute successor, Constantine, realized that if the state could not wipe out Christianity by force, it might make use of the church as an ally to save classical culture. The process by which the church and the state came to terms began with Constantine's winning complete control in the state. Although he officially shared authority with his co-emperor Licinius between 311 and 324 AD, he made most of the real decisions in matters of state. Constantine, circa 285 to 337 AD, was the illegitimate son of the Roman military leader Constantius and a beautiful Christian Oriental freedwoman named Helena. When his enemies seemed about to overwhelm him in 312, he is said to have had a vision of a cross in the sky with the words, quote, in the sign conqueror, end quote, in Latin. Taking it as a favorable omen, he went on to defeat his enemies at the Battle of the Milvian Bridge over the Tiber River. Although the vision may actually have occurred, it is likely that Constantine's favoritism to the church was a matter of expediency. The church might serve as a new center of unity and save classical culture and the empire. The fact that he delayed baptism till shortly before his death and kept the position of the Pontifex Maximus, chief priest of the pagan state religion, seems to support this view. Moreover, his execution of the young men who might have had a claim to his throne was not in keeping with the conduct of a sincere Christian. Perhaps there was a mixture of superstition and expediency in his policy. Whether or not this interpretation of his motives is correct, Constantine embarked on a policy of favoring the Christian church. In 313 AD, he and Licinius granted all freedom of worship by the Edict of Milan, during the next few years, Erti, <clears throat> during the next few years, Constantine issued edicts that brought about the restoration of confiscated property to the church, the subsidization, subsidization of the church by the state, the exemption of the clergy from public service, a ban on soothsaying, and the setting apart of the quote-unquote day of the sun, or Sunday, as a day of rest and worship. He even assumed a position of theological leadership at Arles in 314 and at Nicaea in 325 when he proposed to arbitrate the Donatists and Arian controversies. Even though the number of Christians could not have been much above one-tenth of the population of the empire at this time, they exercised an influence in the state far in excess of their numbers. In addition to granting freedom and favors to the church and bending it to the service of the empire, Constantine in 330 AD founded the city of Constantinople. 
This act helped to divide East and West and open the way of the schism of 1054. But it did provide a haven for Greco-Roman culture when the West fell to the German tribes in the 5th century. Constantinople became the center of political power in the East, and the Bishop of Rome was left after 476 AD with political as well as spiritual power. The sons of Constantine continued his policy of favoring the church and even went beyond it to such an extent that they forced paganism onto the defensive by such procedures as edicts, banning pagan sacrifices and attendance at pagan temples. Just when it looked as if Christianity would surely become the state religion, it received a setback by the ascension of Julian, 332-63 AD, in 361, to the imperial throne. Julian had been forced to accept Christianity outwardly, but the death of his relatives at the hands of the Christian ruler and his study of philosophy at Athens inclined him to become a follower of Neoplatonianism. He took away from the Christian church her privileges and restored full freedom of worship. Every facility was given to aid the spread of pagan philosophy and religion. Fortunately for the church, his reign was short, and the setback to the development of the church was only temporary. Later, rulers continued the process of granting privileges to the church until Christianity finally became the state religion. Emperor Gratian renounced the title of Pontifex Maximus. Theodosius I, in 380 and 381, issued edicts that made Christianity the exclusive religion of the state. Any who would dare to hold the, to pagan or heretical forms of worship would suffer punishment from the state. The Edict of Constantinople in 392 prohibited paganism. Justinian, in 529 AD, struck paganism a further blow by ordering the closing of the School of Philosophy at Athens. Justinian, 483 through 565 AD, a famous Eastern emperor from 526 to 565, built the St. Sophia Church in Constantinople. He codified Roman law in the Corpus Juris Civilis. It became the basic law of many modern states and was the foundation for the canon law of the church. Beautiful portraits and colorful mosaic tiles of him and his wife, Theodora, are in the church of St. San Vitale Ravenna. Looking back at the steps by which Christianity, a despised sect with small numbers, became the official religion of the mighty emperor, mighty Roman Empire, one might well believe, with the advantage of the perspective of time, that this victorious march was detrimental to the church. It is true that Christianity had raised the moral tone of society so that, for example, the dignity of women was given more recognition in society, gladiatorial shows were eliminated, slaves were given milder treatment, Roman legislation became more just, and the spread of missionary work was speeded up. But the church also found that, while there were advantages to close association with the state, there were also marked disadvantages. The government, in return for position, protection, and aid, demanded the right to interfere in spiritual and theological matters. Constantine at Arles in 314 and at Nicaea in 325 arrogated to himself the right to arbitrate the dispute in the church. 
even though he was only the temporal ruler of the empire. The long, vexatious problem of the struggle between the church and state had its beginnings in this era. Unfortunately, the church, where it gained the power, too often became as arrogant a persecutor of paganism as the pagan religious authorities had ever been to, of the Christians. It would appear on balance that the re, the reproachment between church and state brought more drawbacks than blessings to the Christian church. Roman numeral 2. The Church and the Barbarians It was well that the church had been able to come to terms with the empire in the early part of the 4th century, because the latter part of the century brought a new problem to the fore. The problem of how to win, to Christianity, the masses of people who started their migrations in Europe that were to continue until the 11th century. There were mass migrations of Teutonic, Viking, Slav, and Mongol peoples into and within Europe between 375 and 1066. Heading A. The Spread of the Barbarians Barbarian Goths first appeared on Dunub frontier of the empire in the latter part of the 4th century, and pressed by Mongol tribes behind them, they asked permission of the Roman authorities to move into the empire. The Battle of Adrianople between them and the Romans in 378 resulted in the death of the Emperor Valens and the influx of the Aryan Visigoths, or West Goths, into the eastern section of the empire. Many crossed the Danube after, the battle, after that battle and started their migrations within the empire. After sacking Rome in 410, they finally founded a kingdom about 426 in Spain. They were followed by the Aryan Vandals from east of the Rhine, who finally settled in North Africa. The Aryan Ostrogoths, coming later, took over the leadership of the bankrupt Roman Empire under Theodoric. The Aryan Lombards and Burgundians and pagan Franks crossed the Rhine and settled during the 5th century in the area of what is now modern France, and Anglo-Saxons settled in England. In the same century, the church in the West had also to face the temporary yet terrible threat created by the invasion of Europe by the Mongol Huns under the leadership of Attila. The Huns were finally driven back by the victory of the Chalons in 451. Just as the church seemed to be winning many of the Teutonic peoples to Christianity, new threats from Muslims and the Aryan Lombards became a reality in the 6th century. The greatness of the civilization that Western Europe was to develop was not so much due to the eruption of fresh, vigorous barbarians into the empire as it was, as it was to the mass conversions of these barbarians of Northwest Europe to Christianity. Heading B. Evangelization of the Barbarians Armenian was one Armenia was won for the gospel by Gregory, Gregory the, Eliminate, the Illuminator, when in about 301 AD, King Teradates was converted and baptized. The Bible was translated into the Armenian language by 433. 
Some claim that several million people were one. Armenia was the first state to become officially Christian, and in spite of persecution through the centuries, the Armenians have held tenaciously to the Christian faith. Frumentius, circa 300 to circa 380, a Greek of Tyre, came to Ethiopia as a slave but was later freed. He won the Ethiopians to Coptic Christianity. Athanasius of Alexandria made him head of the Ethiopian church under Aegis of Alexandria, a subordination that endured through the centuries until the Ethiopian church became independent in 1957. The British Isles were also one for Christianity in this period. We do not have much information about the introduction of Christianity to Celtic Britain, but it was it is more than likely that it was planted there by Roman settlers and merchants. We do not know that three Celtic we do know that three Celtic bishops presented represented the Celtic Church at the Council of Arles in three fourteen. Pelagius, Augustine's opponent, also came from the Celtic Church and began to teach the heresy known by his name on the continent about 410 A.D. This primitive Celtic church in Britain did not recognize either the jurisdiction or the primacy of the Roman bishop. It also followed the practice of the Eastern church in, de in determining the date of Easter. There were other differences of minor character, and this Celtic church was left defenseless when the Roman armies were withdrawn from Britain at the beginning of the 5th century to meet the threat of the barbarians on the eastern frontier of the empire. The Celtic peoples were exterminated or driven into the western or northern hills by the pagan Angles, Saxons, and Jutes. Missionary work among the Goths began before the Visigoths, Visigoths poured over the Danube into the Roman Empire. Ophilus, circa 311 to circa 381, an Arian Christian, felt the call to missionary work among these people. Consecrated bishop of the Gothic Christians, he went to live among them. His work was so successful that when the Goths came into the Roman Empire, many of them came as Christians. As the first outstanding missionary translator, he reduced the, he reduced the language of the Goths to writing after creating an alphabet and gave them the scriptures in their own tongue. Because the Goths were so warlike, he felt justified in not translating the books of, the, of kings into their language. The Goths were thus one to the Aryan form of Christianity that Ulfilas pro professed. This fact was later to give the church in the West the difficult task not only of converting many tribes from paganism, but also of converting the Visigoths of Spain and the Lombards from Arianism to Orthodox Christianity. The pagan Teutonic invaders from across the Rhine presented a more immediate and pressing problem for the Western Church. Martin of Tours, circa 355 to circa 400, now the patron saint of France, felt called to preach to the Burgundians, who had settled in southern Gaul, adopting rather rough and ready pioneering tactics in carrying the gospel to these people, 
he organized his soldier monks into bands and led them in the destruction of the groves where the people worshipped their pagan gods. His work did not have the impact on subsequent history that the work of Augustine had, because the Burgundians were brought under the sway of their Frankish cousins, who also settled in Gaul. Gregory of Tours, circa 538 to circa 594, in his interesting History of the Franks, described the settlement, history, and conversion of the Franks. Near the end of the 5th century, Clovis, circa 466 to 511, king of the Franks, married Clotilda, a Christian princess of Burgundy. Clotilda's influence, combined with the Clovis believed, was divine, what Clovis believed was divine aid in battle, led to his conversion in 496. When he became a Christian, the mass of his people also accepted Christianity. Whether all conversations were genuine or not, the formal acceptance of Christianity by Clovis was to have far-reaching effects on the history of the church. All the Franks who dominated Gaul, the area of modern France, were now within the Christian church. Gaul became a base from which missionaries could go into Aryan Spain to win the Aryan Goths and had settled there back into Christianity of the, first, of the Orthodox persuasion. Most important of all, the Frankish monarchy became the ardent supporter of the papacy during the early Middle Ages. Frankish kings crossed the Alps many times to save the Roman bishop from his enemies in Italy. Patrick, circa 389 to 461, who later became the patron saint of Ireland, was taken from Britain to Ireland by pirates at the age of 16. He lived there, tending cattle for six years. Upon his return to his homeland, he felt called to labor among the people of Ireland as a missionary, from 432 to 461. He worked among the Celts of Ireland, and despite the efforts of the priests of the Druid religion, managed to make the island a strong center of Celtic Christianity. He organized the Christians around monasteries in the tribal areas. During the time of the Dark Ages in Europe, Ireland was a center of, a cultural, of culture from which monks and mis as missionaries and scholars were sent to work on the continent. It was from Ireland that Columbia, that Columba set forth to win the Scots to Christianity. Columba, 521 to 97, was the apostle of Scotland as Patrick had been the apostle of Ireland. In 563, on the island of Iona, he founded a monastery that became a center for the evangelization of Scotland. It was from here that Aidan, in 635, set out to carry the gospel to the Anglo-Saxon invaders of Northumbria. The Celtic church in Ireland and Scotland was above all a missionary church. At the end of the period under discussion, Celtic Christianity had been victorious in Scotland and Ireland, and it had, it had been all but exterminated in England. The Celtic Christians and the Roman Christians were to become rivals for the allegiance of the Anglo-Saxons, whom both groups helped to win to Christianity. By 590, the church had not only been freed from persecution by the Roman state, but had also become closely linked with that, with that state. It had also done its part in converting the Teutonic invaders of the empire to Christianity, 
and in passing pagans had been won to the Christian religion too quickly for the church to train them and to guide them through a period of probation. Many of them brought old patterns of life and customs with them into the church. Saint worship was substituted for the old hero worship. Many ritualistic practices that savored the pagan of paganism found an open door in, into the church. The church, in attempting to meet the need of the barbarians, was itself partially paganized. <laughs>